in the ballpark, season 2020, here we go! Gee, gents, what day is it today? Far out. Everybody, <laughs> welcome to In The Ballpark. My name is Michael Serpal, and let me introduce to you the umpire who has been wearing the Japanese smart mask that translates to eight different languages, including the language of dodgy umpiring decisions. Risey, welcome to you, mate. And my gosh, too many to choose from. Serps, thank you very much. I tell you, that is a very extensive language there and mostly reserved just for umpires around the country. And I've got to say, no one really knows what it means. It's a bit like some of the rules that we see week in, week out. Thank you for the introduction. I tell you, I knew that mask would come in handy eventually, mate. It's taking a bit of getting used to, getting around with it on. But look, uh, we know this show here is all about innovation. And what can I say? we've come through once again. We absolutely love the Japanese technology, that is for sure. And I've heard whispers, Fryzy, that you're getting an ensuite installed in your bedroom and you're also going to get the automatic flushable Japanese toilet with the warmed up seat and everything, mate. You're getting behind the Japanese tech at the moment. <laughs> oh, look, that's, that's 100% right. It's more than just a whisper, guys. The, uh, the plans are firmly in place. So we will have to have the In The Ballpark social media page and post a couple of photos upon completion, I think. Loving the technology on your side of the park. And the man who knows how many times the Giants have finished the game with a score below 30 points. And the man who knows how many big cats have been organised via our man, Joe Exotic, for the Geelong, Richmond and Brisbane football clubs. And I'm standing in a cage with five full-grown tigers in line. We ain't lions. Why you always lying? See what I did there? It's Maxie, <laughs> the Tiger King Tonner. That rolls off the tongue nicely right there. Maxie, welcome to you, mate. Thanks for having me again, sir. So I still haven't got around to watch Tiger King, actually. asking. I think we're at the last night of the footy festival of the last 20 days or so, 33 games in 20 days. It's Maybe I've got a bit more time to squeeze in Tiger King. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of football action and we've got a lot to cover, mate. We do have a lot to cover indeed, Maxie. It's a bigger show this week. We've got three weeks worth of content to cover. So strap yourself in, lads. It's going to be a very, very big ride indeed on the back of the Tiger. And watch porn. this is very, very exciting. We have a brand new In The Ballpark cover. Oh, yeah. Shout out to the exceptionally talented Liam Milner for his amazing artwork, making us look pretty respectable as well, gents. I've got to say, very impressive. Luna Tunes is his name. He is an absolute superstar. So congratulations to him. Gents, how good is it to have a fresh new cover? This is awesome. Looks fantastic, man. In the lab coat. What's your sort of costume set up, mate? <laughs> I, I am in an outer space looking hazmat suit. And I tell you what, it's the reverse Essendon stripe. Put me up in a very, very nice, comfortable hazmat suit. So holding the pill in my hands. And I've got to say, it's a good look for me. It's a bit freakish how realistic the drawings are. Of each, of, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen myself drawn in a cartoon. I think, geez, how, how's he done that? Oh, it is absolutely phenomenal. And as you can see, if you zoom in very, very close, he has hand-drawn that as well. So absolutely extraordinary effort by him. And Fryzy, how about the little oh. rotation bubble coming out of your mouth? That's very topical. Oh, guys, I must say it was absolutely fantastic work. <laughs> must echo that. Huge shout-out to Liam. He's done a ripping job in a very short space of time. And look, what could be more appropriate? Everyone knows that the favourite free kick of the crowd, unless you're on the receiving end, of course, 
course, is holding the ball. So couldn't be any better designed, I think. And I absolutely like the carnival look as well. I even noticed that the roller coaster capsules look like little flattened footies as well. Got the full ballpark in there indeed. Liam, congratulations to you. Now, before we get into one of our favourite segments, My Footy Memories, the rest of the year's games have been announced from rounds 14 to 18. So, gents, let's take a quick dive into what this means for some of the teams that are challenging for the top eight and for those top four finishes. So, we've almost got another festival of footy. We are cramming rounds 14 to 17 into three weeks beginning on Thursday, August the 27th. West Coast and Fremantle will head back to the Queensland hub. So, will this taint West Coast chances? We're going to talk about that and from rounds 15 onwards. Footy will only be played in Queensland and Adelaide. So it's going to be a floating fixture in round 18, as we've had in the past, so not too much of a surprise. Gents, let's look at the winners of this fixture, and let's start with Port Adelaide, because they have two games in Adelaide, which is massive for them. We saw the crowds in that Richmond match. It was absolutely hostile with only 10,000. They have a bye in round 15, and on either side of that bye, they have Sydney and North Melbourne. So a couple of easy games for them, and primetime games, Friday and Saturday night fixtures. So, yeah, this is looking pretty encouraging for the Port Adelaide Power Gents. You'd have to think that they're probably going to lock up a top four spot considering that they're already on nine wins and they've still got a pretty healthy percentage even though they did lose a fair chunk of that against the Cats on the weekend. So I think we saw Tommy Hawkins sort of expose one of their weaknesses, which is sort of one of my worries come finals time, especially when you look at the big teams that they might be playing against, especially in the first week of finals, whether that's a Richmond where you've got Tom Lynch and Jack Rewalt, West Coast Eagles when he's got when they're gonna to have to come up against Kennedy and Darling and then Geelong where Tom, they're gonna to have to go through Tommy Hawkins again or even Brisbane with McStay and Hipwood. And if Stefan Martin's back in that time, they might have to deal with another Ruckman. So they'll be there, but I'm starting to have my questions come back against Port Adelaide. I was on the bandwagon briefly, but that performance against Geelong, I'm sort of wavering on just how successful they'll be come finals time. It's another thing I'm a bit concerned with Port Adelaide is the over-reliance that they have on with Charlie Dixon taking contested marks and just how inaccurate he's been. One of the concerns is if they're just relying on Charlie Dixon to take five or six contested marks inside the forward 50, then they're sort of relying on him being able to kick set shots at a fairly decent <laughs> accuracy. Yeah, there's no doubt they'll be there and thereabouts come the end, may still even finish on top. I guess another thing I'd add to Maxi's comment is sometimes when sides have got that glaring weakness in their setup, you can often get away with it for a lot of the home and away season, but it does seem to get found out in finals more often than not. It's only when you sort of lay it out, Serps, like that, looking at all the benefits of the run home for them. They have won massively out of this. Another team that has a really, really good fixture. Richmond, the reigning premiers, they don't have to travel to Perth again, which is massive. They play West Coast in Queensland, and West Coast will be coming off a four-day break, and they have a nine-day break until they take on Geelong in round 17, so they'll be nice and fresh before they play the Cats, and the Cats will be coming off a five-day break when they play them. They have Adelaide at Metricom in round 18, which means that they can look at that game to rest a lot of their players. And they also have Basha Hawley, Shane Edwards and Dion Prestia most likely coming back 
back into their side hitting September. So lots of ominous signs if you're a club other than Richmond. You summed it up perfectly, Seth. It's pretty comprehensive. But their last two games, I mean, they did a number on the Lions. As you mentioned before, that Port Adelaide game, just watching it, it was one of the games of the year. I think Port kicked away late and probably Port should have won by a fair margin more considering the amount of ball they had inside their forward half and a lot of set shots that they missed. It sort of felt like Port Adelaide, it was sort of their grand final for them. And Richmond sort of had no right when you look at all the stats to be in that contest, but somehow they were in it. Considering their draw, they've got a couple of tough games, as you mentioned, in Geelong and West Coast, but the rest of the games, I'm pretty sure they'll do pretty easily and they'll probably split those games one-on-one, especially considering the players that they're going to get back in the coming weeks. So they'll be there come finals time and no one will want to play them. Absolutely. They are going to be red hot come finals time. And Maxi, talking about the Port Adelaide-Richmond game, how about the brain fade from Josh Caddy? He couldn't get out of the road. And did you see Dimmer Hardwick's reaction? My gosh, he was about to smash a window in there. Oh, it was pretty easy to do the look reading in that one. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what he was thinking because his Richmond are actually pretty well set up behind the ball. And he was just running straight into him. So I think he's just had a clear brain fade and has to clean Trent Cotchin's baby's nappy or whatever's going on. <laughs> in some countries, it's considered a compliment. <laughs> it, it was a brain fade for sure. Normally when we're talking brain fades this season, we're talking missed goals from the top of the goal square. But it just shows you that you don't know what professional footballers might throw up next. That's for sure. Hey, just on that fixture, gents, with regards to Richmond, it's interesting you say, Serp, whether we might see going back, oh, I reckon about seven or eight seasons now, a Ross Lyon-style mega resting of players <laughs> come that last round. Although, am I hearing correctly that that is still up in the air whether or not we will have that pre-finals buy again or whether that's just going to be, yeah, scrapped given the, the circumstance of the year. I think that's still undecided. So that might play a part as well, depending which way they go there. That's a very good point you make, actually, about the buy, Fryzy. It still sounds like ever since 2016, where the Western Bulldogs went on that dream run, that the AFL have been quite keen on having that bye week. But then again... If you think about it, we can't have the EJ Whitten game, any kind of curtain raises in between that week. And as we know, we're so used to having footy every single night of the week. One week off will absolutely destroy all those footy fans out there. So maybe it's a redundant buy considering the year that we've had. And maybe bar Essendon and Melbourne, every other team's had a buy. So yeah, it may not be needed. So that's going to be a very big consideration, I reckon, Fryzy. You're right in the sense that teams have already sort of had the buy, and it's also worth remembering as well. I mean, for 10 teams at that point, their season is over. So it's yeah, going to be intriguing how they handle that, and uh, that will certainly affect how some of those teams approach the final round. I agree. I think going back to that Bulldogs scenario a few seasons back, I think that's sort of been the catalyst for that to happen since. So it's interesting, isn't it, that sometimes that little week off can be the ultimate refresher for teams. On other occasions, it could work the complete opposite can't it absolutely it can sap momentum maxi what's your opinion if you had it your way would you want that extra week i'm not a fan of the buy personally i was listening to luke hodge and he's sort of said it takes away a little bit of that war of attrition sort of feel i think one of the good things about a regular football season is it's 22 weeks plus finals and you don't get a break and whoever manages their list better throughout the season 
should be rewarded. Teams are always unlucky with injuries, but I think the AFL likes it because some teams, they might get a player or two back and they feel refreshed. But for me personally, I like the war of attrition feel. But who knows, mate, maybe we'll see the Tigers just play with their B-grade team and Adelaide might get a win on their last game of the season. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably their best chance as we look at the fixture at the current time. Let's look at the final team, which I believe has a very, very good fixture going into the last four games of the season. It's St Kilda. St Kilda played very, very well on the weekend. And I think this fixture probably lends into more so their top four hopes and credentials. If they are good enough, they have games against Melbourne, Hawthorne, West Coast and Brisbane. Those last two, as we know, very, very difficult. But a very, very big possibility of them finishing top four if they can win at least three of those four games. They have a bye leading into the Hawks clash, which gives them an eight-day break. And the Eagle clash comes with West Coast coming off a four-day break. To finish top four, that's very, very doable, guys. Yeah, I'm just looking at their fixture now. I'm not as convinced. I would say that the Hawthorne game is the only game that I would guarantee them a win. They've also got the Giants last round of the year. And given how the Giants are going, you'd think the Giants would be fighting tooth and nail come the last round of the year. So they've got Brisbane this week and then Melbourne, who have played pretty well in the last three weeks. A lot of those games to me are 50-50, except for the Hawthorne game. And I would have them favourites against Melbourne. But to me, St Kilda, I can't see them finishing top four, but they'll definitely play finals considering how many wins they've already got. I see them finishing between fifth and seventh. I can't see them finishing top four. Yeah, probably not top four quite. They'll definitely be thereabouts. And a little bit like Richmond, I just get the feeling on the subject that you wouldn't want to get them in the first week of the finals because we've sort of seen that the run they can get on and the scalps that they have claimed at times this year. I think regardless of how a finals campaign turns out for them, it's been a massive tick this season and I don't think anybody could really argue with that. Absolutely, Fryzy. And in Brett Radden's first year, gosh, this is a phenomenal result. And I think the club have been waiting for these kind of results for a very, very long period of time. Be very, very interesting to see how they go in those remaining games. Now, guys, whenever there are winners in the fixtures, there are inevitably losers. And it pains me to say this, but the Bombers run home does not look easy. We face three flag contenders in 11 days. And then we have Melbourne in round 18. And we really don't know what we're going to get from them at that stage of the season. We have the Eagles, Cats, Power. And we play Richmond in Darwin. And two of our games in this fixture are in Adelaide. So, guys, it's not an easy run home. We did speak about this earlier. We had those relatively easy games at the start of the season, which probably did flatter our scoreline. But it's going to be a difficult run home, gents. Yeah, after the last probably month, I thought we needed to get two wins out of our last four games and we walked away with two points rather than two wins. So it's pretty hard to be a guy so full at the moment looking at our draw. Having said that, looking at our injury list, I imagine that we'll eventually filter some of those players through and hopefully by the last probably three or four games, field a bit of a stronger side and get back to a better form, better ball movement. But some top 14, it's going to be a tough finish. It looks like it's going to end ugly the way they've been going. It sort of reminds me of that 2015 year when we had a few blowouts towards the end of the year. But um, that Melbourne game, it would have been handy playing it at the time because <laughs> I think we all would have tipped Essendon then and we're all tipping Melbourne now. So... Yeah, that hasn't played out in our favour. It looks like a tough end of the season. It does. And Fryzy, can you see us winning any of those games? Oh, it's funny you should say it, Serp. I was just thinking it myself. I know we'll probably get into it even more later, but definitely a loser of this last leg of the fixture. 
I tell you what, Gents, a way to make a bad situation a whole of a lot worse, unfortunately. I will say they do have an okay record against Port Adelaide at Adelaide Oval for some reason. That's the mm-hmm. second last game of the year. If they can get a few players back, I reckon they're a sneaky chance to win that one. And I do think that Cal Hooker will play well on Charlie Dick, which would be a big help. Let's look at the West Coast Eagles because we thought that they would get a lot more games on the run home in Perth. But as we know, as the current situation stands, after round 15, they will have no more games. So they play five games in 18 days, which is very, very difficult. Four of those games are off a five-day break. They have night games at Metricom where they struggled earlier in the year in the hub and rounds 14 to 17 their clashes are tough. They have Richmond, they have the Dogs, and they have St Kilda. They play Richmond off a four-day break after playing GWS. If they earn a top two spot, gents, it would have been a very, very well-earned spot indeed. It's not easy, and especially not playing in Perth in that run home, it's going to be very difficult. No, they would have been filthy looking at the trolls considering... um... Well, I suppose they've made a well sunshine. They've got seven wins in a row in Perth, which we thought they'd do, but you got to think they're a pretty mature organisation. They've got a lot of mature players. You'd have to think that they've learnt some lessons from their first trip to the Gold Coast. So I'm sure that they'll dish up a lot better performances than they did. They've got a few difficult games, Giants, Richmond, Bulldogs and St Kilda, but they've also got a few winnable games in North Melbourne and Bombers. So you'd think they'd take those two and maybe split the others fairly evenly and they'll be primed for a top four spot. But if they dish up what they did in the first hub, it might be interesting around West Coast again. I think they'll be a lot better equipped to cope with the hub situation. It was obviously a brand new thing a few months ago at the start. So there was a lot of unknown territory there. But look, I think like you guys rightly say, they did what we all probably knew they were going to do. And that is to bank those important games that they needed to win. And they should be winning at home, not just, you know, regardless of the opposition. So that was important with the leadership and the big game experience. They know how to handle these situations. I still think they will be a force once the finals kick off, wherever those matches happen to be. And as you guys rightfully mentioned, the fact that they've banked those wins, winning all of them in Perth, that is a massive factor for them for just locking in that final spot. Gents, that was a very, very comprehensive rundown of the fixture changes. It's going to be very captivating footy to see how this all plays out. Gents, let's get to my footy memory. Footy memory. Cue the music. Footy, footy memory. Memory. This week on My Footy Memory, I am going to take you all the way to Kilmore. That's right. We, as the big footy team, used to play Assumption. What are your thoughts on Assumption, gents? Assumption just reminds me of horrible two-and-a-half-hour bus rides at 6am on Saturday mornings. <laughs> yep, they weren't very productive trips, were they? Not a lot of victories either. No good. Uh, very tough area to play footy, and this day was no exception as well. No sweet 16s before this game, so the boys are a little more sharp, which was very, very encouraging for us. But the ground was covered in frost, and the change rooms were absolutely flooded out. In fact, we had to get changed in a very small bus stop nearby the ground. (laughs) Have you ever had to do this, guys? No. (laughs) 
No, and I'm not even sure if that's legal either. But, oh, absolutely shocking form from Assumption. And the assumption was that it didn't phase us. But obviously it did because a lot of the guys had to do their hair up, put their makeup on and get their spikes clean. So we weren't happy at all. Now, the ground gents. Now, as we were talking about before, two and a half hour bus ride. So practically in regional Victoria, the ground was a glorified sheep paddock. And in fact, we could see a sheep in the goal square at the start of the match. So I think we should have brought our butchering knives, gents. Honestly, we couldn't believe it. You just pissed off all of our vegan fans, mate. Are you sure this match didn't happen in 2020? Because it just seems like it's, you know, the unexpected things that you never think you'll see. I do remember that Assumption had their own little vegetation patches. So Farming must be a year 12 subject there. <laughs> I think it's probably their number one subject, Fryzy, to be honest with you. My gosh. <laughs> I think so. Uh, you wouldn't get this sort of uh, experience anywhere else, Serps. Now, guys, I could not believe it. It was so cold on the day that there were no spectators outside watching the game. They were all parked in their beautiful Subarus and Commodores and they were beeping the horns and making plenty of noise, but they weren't actually on the ground, which was very, very interesting. Now, our key tall went down early in the match, clutching his knee, and they looked to the second tallest player in the team. Well, believe it or not, guys, that was me at the time. My Maltese jeans kicked in after that game, and I did not grow a single centimetre afterwards. I don't even know the lady, and she called me a son and a bitch. Oh, now, I was getting muscled around in the ruck. I was getting frustrated. All of a sudden, a forward 50 stoppage popped up, and here was my golden chance to get one back on my opposition number. I grabbed the ball clean from the ruck, evaded three, yes, three tackles, and streamed into the open goal. And Mungrel, the ugliest kick of my footy career. But miraculously, because I was one metre out, it went through the middle. But when I say I was playing on a glorified sheep paddock, I literally meant it. There was a sheep in the goal square that I mentioned before. It hadn't moved. And I kicked the mongrel punt straight into the sheep's head. It was the ugliest goal in history. And the sheep, that's right, the woolly, dirty grade, large Peruvian, unsuspecting, comfortably rotund, ragged and rocky sheep went plummeting to the ground like a sack of potatoes. Oh, yes. It fell to the ground like a thousand bricks. It fell sideways like the Costa Concordia. Well. <laughs> and I had concussed the sheep instantaneously, gents. Have you got any witnesses to this story, Matt, or any footage by any chance? Surely there's got to be like a police report or something to go with it. <laughs> I thought I had killed the sheep. Seps, were they allowed to bring on a uh, like a concussion substitute for the sheep? Were they allowed to bring on a new sheep? <laughs> I really hope so. They actually, this is no joke, Fryzy. They actually had to get a stretcher to take the sheep off the ground. The sheep ended up receiving a standing ovation, but no love for my goal, clearly. Your nose is growing, mate. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. I think three votes to the sheep that day. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. I think the farmers were a little bit happy with me, though, because they would have got their lamb shanks a little bit earlier than expected. (laughs) Oh, thank you very much. 
Thank you very much. Maxie, if you think we lost our vegan viewers before, well, we definitely have lost them. Yeah, I think you've done the trick, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, gents, that is my footy memory for this week. Bye, bye, bye. Footy memory. I am in the mood for a delicious, succulent lamb savlaki straight off the spit. That is for sure. Or a woolen jumper, for that matter. We used to have the pegs woolen jumpers. Do you remember those? With the alternate, the stripe underneath. That's we right. did, Maxie. Yep. We did. That is such a cool idea. You flip it inside out and you have your away Guernsey. Like, I mean, how clever is that? I reckon I might have one. Maxie has delivered. Maxie, can you put it on for us? I want to see. Oh, I don't think it. I don't think it is fit these no, days. Mate. No, no, the muscles have, have gotten too big on you, mate. I think. I don't think it's the muscles. I think it's the length and the. I don't think this would fit a five-year-old. One of our players came to training one day and he had cut off the sleeves. He had had enough. He had cut off the sleeves. Absolutely phenomenal. And the coach said, nah, you're not allowed to wear that this weekend. So he had to get his mum to patch up sleeves. He had to get them back on. And I remember his first contest of the game, he got swung around in a tackle and one of his sleeves came off. <laughs> no, that sounds about right. <laughs> Oh, very good. Well, that is my footy memory. And thank you, Maxi, for providing the woolen jumper indeed. I wonder if that was from the same sheep. I guess we'll have to ask the farmer. (laughs) Well, gents, we are condensing this week's show. We are going to cover rounds 10, 11, and 12. So strap yourself in. We are going to identify the considerable winners who were able to get through this period of time unscathed and some of the mammoth losers who weren't able to get the results they were looking for and now, as a result, have their season in jeopardy. Let's quickly talk about our favourite moments and highlights from the last three rounds because, as you guys mentioned off the top, the Richmond-Port Adelaide game, well, that is the game of the season. Yeah, that's probably my highlight. Obviously, the one on the weekend with Carlton and Fremantle, which was a pretty dour game to begin with. But even the North Melbourne versus Brisbane Lions, North came back. They kicked a goal after the siren, but that was a pretty tight game. Yeah, I think the Gold Coast versus Essendon game as well, the draw... That was pretty exciting. I think it was on a Wednesday night, so some Wednesday night entertainment. But I think the Richmond versus Port Adelaide game was easily the best game so far, and also the Geelong versus West Coast game as well. There were some rippers really crammed into that window of footy. I think it's a real treat that we were able to have that over the feast that you'd call it. Probably some of the best games of the season have come in the last sort of fortnight or so, especially when you've sort of had a season that's received patches of criticism at times for you know some unattractive games, low-scoring games. We know the reasons behind those. They're obvious and there's plenty of factors going into it. So it's been nice to see. And I think we've got to give a shout-out as well to the crowds on that night. I mean, that was absolutely electric. The kind of noise when three free kicks went the wrong way and just jump over the boundaries. I mean, it just had that kind of fanfare about it. It just reminds us of how good it is to have crowds at the footy. And wow, what an exceptional spectacle that was. I think it was only like 10,000 and it sounded like 50,000. So I think we sort of take it for granted. We Let's get into the considerable winners and the mammoth losers. 
And Maxi, let's start with you because you've identified a team that, as we know, has a very, very good home and away record, but things just seem a little bit different at the Geelong Football Club. That's right, man. I think we've got to highlight them this week because we're covering rounds 10, 11 and 12 and the Geelong Cats have gone 3-0 and in that time with pretty impressive wins to North Melbourne, who are obviously one of the bottom four teams, but then against St Kilda and Port, who are looking like finalists. Port Adelaide will be top four and St Kilda will be pushing for top four. So Geelong are third on the ladder. They're 8-4 with the best percentage in the comp of 138.5%. So percentage to me is a really good indicator of where you're really at and to see that they've got the best percentage of the comp. Their forward line's working exceptionally well at the moment. I've really liked over the last few weeks, Cam Guthrie and especially Sam Managola have seemed to step up. I think in the past, especially come finals times, Geelong have sort of been exposed for relying too heavily on their stars and that second tier as well as their bottom six sometimes doesn't stand up during finals time. So hopefully if Cam Guthrie and Sam Menegola can um, sort of support Dangerfield, Salwood and Duncan come finals time, their midfield is going to be in really good shape. They haven't rested Dangerfield. They've sort of sent him to just the goal square and play more time forward. That's contributed to their forward line looking exceptional. And they've also covered Salwood, who hasn't been in fantastic form of late. And the thing I like about Geelong is they look really strong across all lines, especially their forward line at the moment. Tommy Hawkins is over 30 and he's looking as good as he ever has. He's probably in career best form and that was probably one of his career best performances. Six goals, 17 disposals and 10 contested marks. Doing it against Port Adelaide, Gary Rowan has kicked seven goals in the last two games. They dropped to Savo Radagalia, which is sort of interesting to me because I thought he'd sort of help Tom Hawkins, but it sort of it looked to me like he had more space and more room to move. And Gary Rowan, for the first time in a long time, he's had two pre-seasons in a row. So he's got more consistency in his body and he's moving really well. It will be interesting to me if they do have a look at Jenkins before finals. Mm. I'd like to see it, whether or not it works. I'm not sure, but I'd like to see it. Brian Myers is playing well. He's playing a bit more time through the midfield and obviously they've got Gary Ablett to come back whenever he does come back. Their back line looks very strong. It is interesting the role that they do play Blitzarves to me. If Blitzarves was in my team, I'd just be setting him at full back and forgetting about it. So... It's interesting the role that he plays. Sometimes he plays fullback and sometimes plays in the ruck or even on a wing, which I personally don't really understand. The back line nonetheless looks pretty solid with Taylor, Colin Jasney, Stuart, Buse, and Henry, as well as Lockie Henderson, who's sort of Lockie made a Henderson comeback out of nowhere. He was <laughs> so of, out of favour. I forgot he was even still playing. I was like, did, did Lockie Henderson retire a few years ago? <laughs> sort of come back out of nowhere and he's playing well. Their midfield with Metagola, Guthrie, Duncan, and then Darwood and Dangerfield look strong. It's just over the last few years, we've always seen that John have had a question mark over their ruck stock. So Stanley's playing okay at the moment. Will he be there come final time? And do the coaches have the faith to go with him? I think they lost their patience with him last final series. So that's probably the biggest question mark on John at the moment. They don't have to go to the MCG this final series. So are they going to break their preliminary final curse? I'd like to see them do so. But um, to come, they've got Adelaide, the Bulldogs, Essendon, Richmond, and Sydney. So to me, I've got them winning four of those games and a question mark on the Richmond game, which I think is a 50-50 game. They could potentially win all of those games and lock up a top two spot. So question mark on their finals record and whether or not they can break that this year. Maxi, that is a very comprehensive analysis of the Cats. We mentioned Tom Hawkins is in career best form. It's unbelievable to believe that Tom Hawkins has never won a Coleman. This is probably his best chance to get that accolade under his belt. So we've seen the rise of Geelong and we've also seen the very surprising rise of Melbourne after they were described as soft as butter by their president. They have returned to form, albeit they had very, very easy opponents, but 
They bet Collingwood over the weekend and Frizy. Can they make finals? Well, I think it's a good chance now, guys. We see them currently in the eight as it stands. Their strong percentage just gives them the edge over the Bulldogs and the Giants there. Look, they're finally firing. You might say it's the best they've looked since 2018. The turnaround is no coincidence since those comments. They've sort of backfired a little bit already. Huge win over the Pies on the weekend. We know that they've got their struggles and that's been talked about a lot. But I think this is a more accurate representation of where Melbourne should be given the list profile and what they would be wanting to achieve. We've seen just during the week that they've decided they're going to sort of manage Max gone through. He's got a little bit of soreness there and whatnot. They've got the option in Big Prusy, who we finally get <laughs> uh, a look at. <laughs> That's right. You almost sort of forgot they had him on their list there. So now it's certainly come in handy. I think they could well make it, probably between them and a couple of other sides for that seven to eight mark. But they might just be getting things to come together when it counts. Absolutely, Frizy. It's incredible. Only about three weeks ago, we were talking about Melbourne having to change their coach, having to look at trading players like Angus Brayshaw because they had a like-for-like in the midfield. And now we're seeing Angus Brayshaw almost recapture his 2018 form and you're seeing their forward line finally functioning. I mean, what has been the most pleasing aspect of the Demons for you? You're so right in what you say. You've nailed it. These guys, um, you're talking about the Petrarcas and the Olivers of this side. They've had a few big weeks. The thing that might really help their chances is that they might just be all hitting a nice patch of form at the right time. So certainly be dangerous if they manage to sneak in, I think. Where there are winners, there are losers. All right, (laughs) let's get to the mammoth losers for rounds 10, 11 and 12. Not looking good for our mighty Bombers. Maxi, what has gone so terribly wrong and can, can we find an answer to all of our woes. Well, plenty has gone wrong, man. <laughs> it was a pretty dark, depressing day on Sunday. Um, I walked away at three-quarter time and I ended up watching quarters two and three on mute because I couldn't could put up with the commentary anymore. As I said earlier, looking at our last four games against Brisbane, GWS, Gold Coast and St Kilda, I went into those four games thinking we need to win two of those games. Instead of winning two of those games, we walked away with two points. So we went zero, one and three over those four weeks. We're now five, five and a draw with 86%, which is pretty poor. I think we're fourth or fifth worst in the comp in terms of percentage. So unfortunately, that's a pretty good indicator of where things are at. Having said that, it's pretty well known, our injury list. They're doing what I think Cal is calling soft managers or soft drops, which is saying they're managed, but really you've been dropped. I'm a fan of Francis, but I think he's sort of struggled a little bit in recent times. So as I said, plenty's gone wrong. Um, to me, the ball movement, is one of the big worries. I sort of think that they've overcompensated for the fact that a few years ago we were renowned for having Sada McKenna streaming off halfback and that was sort of opening us up on the other end once they turn over the ball. I think what they're trying to do is move the ball slower so that they're well set up behind the ball if they do turn over the ball. But we can't score at the moment. We're not using our strength of running off halfback because we're worried that turnovers from that end will go against us. Yeah, McKenna's playing forward. I actually think it would work, especially at Marvel, and especially if we were playing better. I think he shows glimpses, and I think if we were playing better, it would actually be a better move. I think it's easy to criticise that move at the moment, but for me, especially given how poorly Fantasia's played this year and probably the last two years, to be honest, are they playing in there to keep him happy? 
so that he stays at the club and doesn't go back to Ireland. So yeah. there is a question mark on that. They don't make it hard for teams to play against them. They let Lockie Neal run around and do whatever he wants a few weeks ago. And this week, Bradley Hill. Tip and Woody's out of form. And I think pretty much all of our forwards are out of form. I think Jimmy Stewart showed a bit in the Gold Coast game, which is a bit of a positive, but there's plenty of going wrong. I do want to mention some positives for this year because I don't think they'll play finals and I don't want to smash them too hard. I think some positives are Jordan Ridley looks like has to be All-Australian for me, <laughs> just considering how well he's played. He looks like one of the best ball users Essendon's had in 10 years probably and yeah. considering how well he takes intercept marks as well. And Maxie, it's, it's worth mentioning, you were on Jordan Ridley, I reckon, four seasons ago. You've been on him for such a long time, and you said, I don't understand why Essendon haven't played him yet. And they've kind of played him on and off, but then this season he's had a really good run, and now we're seeing just how good he is. I mean, you've seen this from a long way back. I've always said he reminds me a bit of Andrew Mackey, probably a better internet marker than Andrew Mackey, to be honest. It's one of our areas that we actually are reasonably well-stocked is that halfback flanker, that third tall. Also, Sammy Draper looks like he's got reasonable promise. I think the main criticism with Belcham has been his body and his lack of athleticism. He looks like he just sort of mopes around the ground on pretty heavy and tired legs. So to see an athletic ruckman in an Essendon jumper is a bit of a change from probably since Paddy Ryder, we haven't had that. But um, also, so I think Darcy Parrish and Andy McGrath over the last few weeks, even though we've been down, especially McGrath. Those two midfielders, you just put on the whiteboard and forget for 10 years. So, yeah, just the question is whether or not they can fix their ball movement and their brand. It's got that uh, really uncertain, little nasty feeling that, yeah, that 2015 season sort of had where we might still have yet to have seen the worst of it before the season's out. Either way, I think this off-season coming up end of 2020 is probably going to be Essendon's most important one in a hell of a long time. Last thing on Essendon I want to just say is there have been whispers that Joe Dano might play this week against Richmond. Where do you guys stand on that being a chance? Uh, I suppose for the impatient Essendon fans, which we all are at the moment, we might uh, want to have a look at him before we potentially lose him in that off-season. So it may work one of two ways. It might really improve us structurally and make us a lot more dangerous up front. Or it could also give us a glimpse into what we might be missing going forward. So be very interested to see how that team selection pans out. I'll make sure I swipe up when I see that on Thursday night, gents. Very good. Take Woosh's advice on that one. Yeah, very interested to see what happens with this because similar discussion of Buddy Franklin, obviously very, very different contract talks, but similar as in players being injured and you're coming towards the end of a season where you may not even make finals. But for Buddy Franklin and also for Joe, you just want to see them out there. You want to see them compete. They're going to make your team better. And you just want to see them play. So are you risking much? Maybe the long-term future of both of those players. But at the same time, you need those games under your belt and you just need to see them perform and and help contribute to your side because you're paying them the big bucks. But again, we don't want to repeat previous mistakes and bring him in too early. To me, I can't see them playing him if he's not putting up his hand. And to me, it would be a massive indication of where he thinks he's at because if he doesn't think he's right then I would be surprised if he plays more than one or two games because if his body's shot and he's not the player that he was, then if I was Joe, I probably wouldn't want to play until maybe the last game if I had to because the more games I play and if I don't perform well, whoever's paying my contract next year, I'm probably losing money with every poor performance. So if he puts his hand up to play and he plays well, just even if he puts his hand up to play, that's got to be a big indication of where his body's at. And also... 
how committed he is to footy. So mm. be very interesting to see what happens with Joe. Maxi, that was another brilliant analysis. And yes, unfortunately, it is our team again on the Mammoth Losers. Let's hope for not too much longer or in the same significant vein of form. Fryzy, let's have a look at the Western Bulldogs because they had a very, very nice win on the weekend against the Adelaide Crows. They are the worst side in the competition, the Adelaide Crows. So maybe we can't read into that win too much. They did get their big forward. Talking about big forwards, they did get Aaron Norden firing with six goals, as you will no doubt touch on. But they haven't been able to beat a top four side this season. So the big question mark is still out. Where are the Western Bulldogs? Can they play finals? And are they a serious contender? I think they can certainly still play finals. Yeah, now they're, they're definitely in that bracket with Melbourne and a couple of others around the same number of wins and that. I do think, though, this does further prove the doubts on them against those top teams. But they're still on the fringe of the eight. They had some challenges the two weeks prior against sides like Port Adelaide and Brisbane. Games you probably would have expected them to lose regardless. They were pretty strong performances still, I'd like to add, those two games, despite the fact that they probably needed to bank one of them to sort of prove their credentials. They couldn't do it. They still remain pretty strong in the midfield as well. I think it's definitely their biggest advantage. You know, Bontempelli, Lockie Hunter's just come back. Bailey Smith had a big afternoon against the Crows. So, look, a bit like Melbourne, it's a maybe. And funnily enough, these two sides are coming up to play each other. So winning one or two of the ones that you don't expect them to in the run home could be the difference between, yeah, squeezing in and not. It's been great seeing the return of Mitch Wallace up in that forward line. He's looked like a really strong target. And if he can get up and about and Norton can get up and about, that's going to be a promising forward line. But again, the issue is over Josh Bruce, whether he gets more games for this season and whether they view him as a player in their best 22 is seen to be believed there for Aussie. Yeah, the Bruce one's a really tricky one, especially given he was recruited with a lot of hype and whatnot. Despite it being his third club, it was, um, at the time, from memory, it was seen as a really big coup for the dog in getting him over there. So whether they do make it or not, I just wonder if he's actually part of their plans should they make the finals. With regards to Wallace, though, yeah, it's always nice to see a player sort of revitalise their career and secure their spot by sort of changing their position or their role and um, sort of having that refreshed feeling to their game. Yeah, it's it's nice to see. They've been very hot and cold sort of this year as a side, haven't they? Hot and cold dogs, that is for sure. But can they match it for the full four quarters? That is the biggest question over the... Yeah, it's the question, are they the flat track bullies? Um, it be interesting to see Bruce and Norton in the same team. I think that'll help him. I think key position players can sometimes harder for them to fit into a new club straight away rather than midfielders. One of those interesting ones was, I remember Brian Lake, even though he won a Norm Smith in his first year at Hawthorne, he actually had a really poor year. So sometimes you see like, position players struggle in their first season, but I think he'll come good, particularly with Norton there by his side. But yeah, they're a tricky one, the Bulldogs. I was pretty high on them coming into the year, but I didn't think they'd be this inconsistent. They're still a pretty young side, but I think they've got one of the best midfields in the comp. So yeah, they just need to find a level of consistency, the Bulldogs. And also, it was good to see Lockie Hunter back in the team as well. Obviously, he's had his demons this year that he's had to deal with, but there's been a little bit of talk about Brisbane Lions possibly showing some interest in him for next season and seasons beyond, but grabbing your jumper, showing that passion and yelling and screaming, that often is a good indicator to your fans that you're pretty committed to that club for Aussie. Yeah, I think so. Gee, wouldn't that bolster an already strong Brisbane midfield? But you're right. I dare say uh, it was probably just a bit of a bit of chat and that was his not so subtle, perhaps, way of saying thanks, but no thanks. Yes, I'm sure Doggies fans would have breathed a sigh or two of relief having seen that. 
I heard Bevo this morning say he's contracted. So <laughs> I think he said um, if somebody wants him, they're going to have to pay a fair bit for him. So I can't see oh, him going anywhere. There you go. We've seen this play out many times before with others, haven't we? Don't think he is going to be going anywhere anytime soon. That is a very, very good wrap of the Bulldogs. Yes, they are mammoth losers, but we do believe in them. They've got a decent draw coming up. If they can knock off one of those top four sides, then we might start believing in the Bulldogs in 2020. Let's get to bring it back. Give it the sack. Have a crack. My bad. Instead of bring it back this week, it is bring them back because we are talking about players who have came back from long-term injuries in this season. And when we say long-term, we're talking about 700, 800, 1,000 days plus out of the great game that we know and love. We saw a incredible mullet and Lorax-style mustache on the weekend, of course. Lyndon Dunn. Do you remember Lyndon Dunn? He was back for the Pies on the weekend. It took him 773 days to return after he had quite a terrible run with knee injuries. He's 33 years of age. He's had quite a journey, but he came back against the Adelaide Crows. Round 15, 2018, 773 days since he last played football for the Pies. Game 197 with a haircut. He kicked a big-time goal, and the Pies ran from everywhere to celebrate and ruffle up that mullet. Gents, how good is it to see players who have been on the injury list for an extended period of time back in the team? Yeah, it's fantastic. I've forgotten that Lyndon Nunn was still playing. <laughs> he, he sort of rig looks like he's been out of the game for a while as well. He's rocking a fantastic mullet. Apparently, he's a really good club in Lyndon Dunn. And you sort of remember back to his early days in Melbourne, you think, gee, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I think that he's still running around after missing all of those days. It was great to see him. From an essence perspective, I also love seeing Jimmy Stewart. He's gone through something pretty similar to Joe Dunner in a groin injury and hasn't been nearly talked about as much as what Joe has. So to see him back after a very long time on the sidelines was good to see. And Tim Broom had suffered one of the worst broken legs I've ever seen. So to see him come back was great as well. That was truly horrific, that broken leg. A couple of seasons back, just chilling. I remember that. But yeah, Lyndon Dunn, look, a nice one to see, I think, for any fan who probably agree with that. I reckon it's 15 years at least since the start of his career. A real journeyman. And to add to it with a goal is just a little bit of icing on that cake. A feel-good moment, I would say. Started in 2006, Lyndon Dunn. He's on 197 games. So they'll try again to 200. We don't call you the stat man for no reason there, Maxi. <laughs> Brilliant work there. Plenty of great returns this year. We spoke about Majak Dor a couple of weeks ago. 706 days for him. As you mentioned, Maxi, Jimmy Stewart, 790-day wait. was a very, very long time for him. Of course, had that COVID scare as well this season. So it hasn't been easy for him. And Sam Doherty had to wait over a 1,000 days to notch up his 100th game in round eight. So that was fantastic. They couldn't get a banner out for him. I've been screaming for banners for a very, very long time, but they got a little confetti one for him in the rooms, which was fantastic to see. So we love fairy tale moments in the AFL, and it just shows that if you can hang in there for long enough, if you have a good support network around you, 
Dreams do come true, gentlemen. Oh, my dream would come true at the chow shop. Let's get to give it the sack because we are sick and tired of staging. I mentioned a long, long time ago on the show that Tom Papley is a little bit of a smart ass. And I'll tell you what, he went absolutely soaring. But then at the end of that game, he was handed a $500 fine for his Oscar nomination for that. Gents, what is going on? Oh, as for give it the sack, I'd label it as I wish it never started. I tell you what, it's not something I don't think is popular at all in our game. You'd be hard-pressed finding a fan that enjoys seeing it. I can't think of anyone who actually enjoys it. Yeah, I suppose the question is, what did you guys think of the Callum Ward run? He was called Mr. Hollywood after the game. I think the contact was high, but he definitely contributed to it. He did. And I do applaud the fact that he came out and um, admitted he might have gone a bit far with the reaction. I I actually agree. I think the contact probably was high. He went a little dramatic with the effects. And, well, I suppose it it worked to get the free kick and get his side over the line. I'm sure his teammates wouldn't have minded too much. uh, There's just some that are a whole lot better at it than others. And, guys, I've got to ask you real quick. The Hayden Ballantyne punch... (laughs) That was done by a good old Matty Scarlett. Do you think he fell down a little too easily or do you think that was a pretty decent punch? Oh, it was pretty soft. Yeah, I think he went down pretty easily. Talk about rivalries. I remember Geelong and Fremantle had a pretty good rivalry for a few years there. They did. And there were yep. some games that were played at Subiaco that were very, very close. And we're talking about back in the day where Geelong were competing in the grand finals. Frio mm. matched it with them. It was it was a very exciting rivalry. And then it was obviously heightened when Pinch won off them in Geelong. So you're right, Maxie. It's been quite the rivalry. It's one of those obscure rivalries. I remember... I think we've talked about rivalry round in a bring it back segment, but um, yep. I'd like to see like an obscure rivalry round. I think um, Geelong versus Freer would be one and the Western Bulldogs versus Giants would be one. Non-traditional rival round would be a good one. I like that a lot. Maybe that's a little idea for a future segment just quietly. Let's get back to the Cullen Ward situation for just one moment because I was very, very disappointed to hear that there was a lot of angry footy followers that were sending death threats to Cullen Ward and posted some really ugly comments on a photo on Instagram that had his three-year-old son. There was some very, very hateful messages that came across. Look, the Essendon Footy Club, like all AFL clubs, are taking this very seriously. And I spoke to Justin Langer, the great Australian cricket coach throughout the week on our RMIT Sports Leadership Series, and he detailed how awful the abuse was that the Australian cricket team copped from the England public. And JL says there's room in the sport for banter, but no abuse. So at the end of the day, it's a game of sport, gentlemen. The lives of those sport players off the field should be respected and give those gutless comments online the sack once and for all. Well said, mate. Yeah. I'm sort of surprised that more AFL players don't turn off their comments, particularly during season. I think someone said the smartest person you know has access to social media and the dumbest person you know has access to social media. So there's probably a million plus who are watching that Essen versus GWS game and giving everything that's going on, there's probably a lot of people who are very frustrated, but that's not the way to handle it. I think you summed it up pretty well, man. Yep, fully agree, boys. Sometimes uh, that, that off switch or the, or the old airplane mode is the best way to go, and, but I do often wonder, and I've thought about it a few times before, why more of them aren't just off it altogether. It's a double-edged sword for anyone to use. I suppose the effect of it is emphasised for professional athletes, you might say. Let's get to have a crack, because this week on Have a Crack, we saw some very, very interesting footage of our man, Conor McKenna. Hey, Irishman, gosh, he does some very, very, very questionably <laughs> strange things. But in the pre-game 
against the Gold Coast Suns. He kicked a Rabona. Have you ever heard of this before? No, no, neither. Let me explain it to you, gentlemen. So the Rabona is a method of kicking the ball whereby the kicking leg is wrapped around the back of the standing leg and somehow in that motion you kick a ball. And he kicked a goal from the pocket doing so. Now, he's got a 73% kicking efficiency when I last checked and that might have went down after the weekend. I say, why not try it in the game? He's already tried a solo several times and he's stuffed it up. And I say, if there's one more Irish skill that you have left in your repertoire, give this one a good old red crack. Because honestly, it could be an effective skill to use against a defender. Do we like a little tactic like this coming into our game, trying something a little bit left field. I wouldn't put it past Connor, considering his solo effort on the weekend, but you can't put anything past Connor. Sometimes you just do something without thinking about it, so I can't really tell whether or not it'd work. I don't think Wilshire would be a big fan of it, but I wouldn't put it past Connor to just randomly pull it off on the half-back flank. I can only envisage down the track something like this will happen more often. We will see it. Whether it's a player of particular Irish heritage or not, someone's going to perfect it, and it's going to be an extraordinary skill to watch. That's for sure. Do it from an impossible angle where no one will judge you if you spray it out of bounds on the full. Let's talk about one more soccer skill that we want to see in our game that we want to have a crack. Scissor kick. It is one of the hardest, most celebrated skills on the soccer field. It is such an amazing spectacle seeing a player pretty much flip their entire bodies over and get that scissor swaying motion. And for that reason alone, gentlemen, on a highlight reel at the end of the season, goal of the year, this is what we want to see, don't we? An incredible scissor kick, defying the laws of gravity. Defying the laws of gravity. I don't know whether players can just randomly pull off a scissor kick. <laughs> I feel like if it's a high ball and you're maybe a one-on-one or a two-on-one in the goal square, you can maybe manoeuvre your body in a way that you might be able to volley the ball through off your boot. Mm. The more unpredictable avenues to scoring, perhaps the better. Just don't land on the wrong part of the collarbone. That is for sure. You might be a little sore for the next couple of weeks afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for staying with us all this time. It has been a bumper edition of In the Ballpark this week. Let's have a look at round 13. It isn't just any old round. It is the Sir Doug Nichols round, which pays tribute to all the inspirational Indigenous players in our great game past present and emerging. One of the biggest clashes of this round is going to be the Dreamtime clash between Essendon and Richmond. And it's going to be played up in the top end. That is right. Dreamtime at the tee. There have been 20 matches for premiership points at Darwin's TIO Stadium since the Western Bulldogs and the Port Adelaide Power christened it as an official AFL venue in 2004. Saturday night's Dreamtime game shapes as the most significant AFL game yet played in Australia's northernmost city. It's going to be humid. It's going to be 33 degrees. As we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the Mosquito Fleet is well and truly going to be there. So bring your repellent, all of the fans (laughs) that will be able to get to the game on Saturday night. It might not be at the MCG, but in many respects, the Dreamtime game is well and truly coming home. Me personally, I've been to Darwin a few times. I absolutely love the Northern end. Michael Long does an incredible job up there with his foundation, getting young Indigenous talent 
into the competition and just playing footy, which they absolutely love. And what I couldn't believe was I was there last December and they were playing footy in December. It was absolutely extraordinary. I reckon they play footy pretty much all year round. They absolutely love the footy there up in the Northern Territory. Kevin Sheedy was the first AFL identity to properly embrace the region. And from the early 80s, he would bring the Essendon squads to Darwin to play pre-season games. No harder conditions, especially during the wet season in Darwin. Those teams would have been built very, very tough going up there. I am very, very excited for this game. We've seen a lot of sensationally designed Indigenous jumpers for this round. It is going to be a great spectacle, that is for sure. Gentlemen, what games are we excited for this round? I'll say it, mate. I'd have to say West Coast versus GWS. Fourth versus ninth home game for the Eagles at Optus on Sunday night. This is make or break for the Giants. They've got to win these 50-50 games if they want to cement their spot in the eight. So West Coast are informed this is their last game in Perth. They've got to notch up another win before they go to the Gold Coast. But this is a massive game for the Giants. So that's the one I'm looking most forward to, mate. It might take a couple more sprays from Stephen Coniglio to get them up and firing the Giants, they need to lift. Fryzy, what game are you most excited about for this round? Well, definitely that one's in there. There's... For me, the Lions and the Saints is one that could be a really fast-moving sort of game with a lot of, hopefully, end-to-end stuff. The game I'm most excited about, gents, is the Western Bulldogs and the Demons. Very, very curious to see where these two teams are at. The considerable winners and massive losers are up against each other in this game. So very, very intrigued to see what team ends up on top. Well, that's all the time we have for you today on In the Ballpark. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Enjoy all the Round 13 Sir Doug Nichols Round footy action. And be sure when you're posting about the AFL to use the hashtag FreeTheFlag to make sure that the Indigenous Aboriginal flag is for everyone, not restricted under a copyright. Maxi and Fryzy, thank you so, so much for the analysis today. It's been an absolute joy. You beauty. Thanks, sir. Thanks, sir. Thanks, Maxi. Well done, boys. And enjoy the upcoming matches. Feast or no feast, plenty more action, I'm sure. Plenty of feasts to be had over the weekend and a lot of Sunday roast with lamb if we're talking about the sheep from the first segment. <laughs> Be sure to like our Instagram page at In The Ballpark AFL. Like our Facebook page, In The Ballpark, and subscribe to our podcast. It's been an absolute joy having your company. Enjoy this weekend's round of footy. And if you're in Darwin, make sure you put that mosquito repellent on because Irving Mosquito is going to be making his debut. <laughs> Have a good weekend. See you next week on In The Ballpark. You're worse than a bunch of nuts in a squirrel tree. Some countries, it's considered a compliment. Ah!